0: I think it's been essential for me to, to let go of the, the fact that let go of the, the idea that somehow um, I have to be the, the savior for the church. I'm not, there's only one savior for the church and his name isn't Michael, his name is Jesus. And so for, for this flock or any other flock it's to bring these, these concerns, these questions that in our minds to him and a lot and let him,
1: Welcome to the Stream Roots podcast, where you'll learn how God's unchanging truth can be applied in our ever-changing world. Through conversations with pastors and ministry leaders, you'll be encouraged, equipped, and challenged in your walk with Christ. Stream Roots is designed for pastors and leaders in the church, but it's helpful for all people. And now your host, Pastor Mark Pospisil.
2: So glad to have you join us for this episode of Stream Roots on why Americans are quitting church and what we can do about it. With me is my friend and producer of Stream Roots, the John Blosser. John, welcome.
1: Hey, it's great to be here, Mark. Happy Monday.
2: Always a pleasure to see you. (laughs) Sitting in my office, always have fun seeing John.
1: Oh, yeah. You always give me nice things to drink and I appreciate that.
2: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll give you a spin drift after. Yes,
1: it, we uh, <laughs> we had a barbecue at a friend's house yesterday, and I had to stop and get some pineapple spin drift. Oh, nice. you spoiled me that last time. Yep, yep it was really yep. great.
2: I love my drinks. Love my drinks. Uh, today we have with us for this episode of Stream Roots Pastor Michael Bresnow. Michael is the pastor of Mayfair Mayfair Bible Church in Flushing, Michigan. Uh, he holds a Master's of Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary and it is in year three of his Doctor of Ministry program from Talbot School of Theology. Michael, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
0: Well, thanks for having me participate in this conversation. It's good to spend time with you guys this afternoon. Yeah, so I have a beautiful, amazing wife, and we've been married for almost 14 years, and I have four kiddos, 13-year-old son, a 10-year-old daughter, a Five-year-old son and a five-month-old who were just on the brink of finalization for adoption for him. So we feel really, really blessed and uh, amazed that uh, that God has given us four kiddos. Uh, part of our story is a number of miscarriages throughout the years. So we mm-hmm. we just are uh, filled with Thanksgiving and our, our little baby who's five months old. He was born the day before Thanksgiving, so he will always be our Thanksgiving baby. And uh, so that's a little bit about my family.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. How long have you been over in uh, Mayfair Bible Church?
0: Going on five years, okay. Mayfair Bible Church. Yeah. Yeah. And I grew up around the area, uh, Metro Detroit when I was a kid, and then over to St. Clair by Port Huron. My parents live in Lapeer now, and I did urban ministry work in Flint before going to seminary. So it was sort of like coming back to my people when God called us to make their Bible church. We were just three miles west of Flint. So Flint and Genesee County. That's our that's our mission field. And so I understand how people think here, the needs of the community here. It was just just a we count that as a gift from the Lord to be serving in this community. And and we're thankful for the sense that we're emerging from the pandemic now.
2: <laughs> so yeah. I think I think many people are thankful for that,
1: myself included. <laughs> yeah.
2: Awesome. Yeah. All right, well great. Let's jump into our discussion. I want to start off from a scripture reading from the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 13 to 22. And here's what God's word says. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a wonderful passage about God's vision for the church, the local church, the life, unity, and joy that the Lord designed for us together as children of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ being our chief cornerstone on which everything is built. It is so clear that the Lord highly values the church and the local church, and it's an incredible privilege to be a member of what God is building. Yet we do not see people value the church this way, especially in our current culture. According to a Barner Group in 2020, one out of every three practicing Christians dropped out of church completely during COVID-19. Even as the restrictions were removed, many of these people have not returned to church. The last I checked, 30% of the entire American population now identifies the religious group as nuns. It seems that the next generation are way less religious, but this generation and Americans as a whole also have a higher depression rate than in the past. People are seeking to find community and purpose, not through the Lord and his local church, but through TikTok, Facebook, Facebook, and other internet fads. What do we do about this trend? How do we pastor people well who are not plugged into the local church? What opportunities has the Lord given to us in our current culture of confusion? We're going to answer these questions and more. And I will also add, it's such an exciting time to be alive and serving God. Well, look at all these opportunities that we have around us. While well, some people view that it was happening, something negative, man, God has given us a harvest, a field that is just gigantic and so many opportunities. And so we have Michael, Pastor Michael Bresna on for this discussion. And Michael, to jump into this, uh, what are some reasons why you think we're seeing this trend of Americans quitting church?
0: Yeah, that's a good question. And that question certainly is on the mind of every pastor that I know, right? We want to know uh, about the people maybe quitting our church or a friend's church or people we're friends with finding out they're no longer attending church. So with the pandemic, I think it has rapidly increased the pace for especially maybe the younger generation to hang it up when it comes to attending church, being a part of a local church. What I've often said is that the fault lines of the culture often invade the church. So when a culture is divided on every level, right, Mark? So for the last two years, we've been divided politically, we've been divided about masks or no masks. Vaccines or not vaccine, all kinds of issues, economic and all kinds of divides in our culture. And so the the people within our church families and our church churches are not separated from that. They're listening to the same news streams. They're reading the same papers. They're listening to the same political pundits. And so they take that and carry that into their relationships. And so I think one of the reasons is that they... Are no longer finding themselves in the same affinity with the pastor or their friends or maybe even their immediate family, and so there's a lot of relational divides. And I think the divides or people leaving local churches is one of those divide points. Hey, you know, the pastor he got up and he's he 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 should have endorsed this political candidate, but he didn't, or he should have spoken about that issue, or or he did and he shouldn't have. You know what I'm talking about? So they just go like that, and then they they choose to walk out the door. Another issue that I'm actually in the process of running my doctoral dissertation on is deconstructionism. So oh, yeah. there is a whole movement you guys are aware of, I'm sure, They're about aware of. ex-evangelicals and the deconstructionist move within millennials and Gen Z, uh, some Generation X too, uh, but that that movement of I grew up in the church I no longer have any use for the church in fact I'm anti institution completely and I don't trust institutions and so the the news flashes about yet another pastoral scandal of immorality or financial embezzlement it's just more proof for them that I can't trust these institutions the church being one of them the government being another one of them and so why participate in church those are those are two Two reasons I see. What are some of the reasons you're thinking of, Mark, John? What do you What do you guys see?
2: Well, I think with that, you, you know, political issues is huge. That's more in the fray mm-hmm. than I've ever experienced. You know, I've been in ministry since 2008. Um, and, you know, I've been walking with the Lord for a long, long time. But uh, political stuff is always around. But now it's just more at the forefront of everything where people are. Uh, seems oh, yeah. To be, seems to be its own religion. Uh, Actually, I saw that 50 percent of people who claim to be atheists have dedicated or donated money to political candidates, which is a crazy amount of giving for uh, any, you know. So it's like that's their religion. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so but I think that's the, the American religion right now is politics. And we get people who say, hey, we're not political enough. Um, because we didn't take yeah like a stance or we're too political, and I always say well, will pick one. Which one is it? <laughs> we, can't, we can't be both of those things. And so, but we as leaders are like, hey, we're, we're centered around the gospel. We don't need to speak to every situation that's going on in our col- culture all the time. Uh, we have the word of God that transcends those things. And while there is times to speak, yes, uh, how that how the gospel subverts those things, but uh, we want to be above that. But that, that's that's one of the things I see. And then I also see people who quit church because they're lazy. Um, I think some people have quit coming to church because they found a different communities, um, or they got disconnected from COVID stuff. Um, or they, we, we actually picked up a lot of people from our church cause we were doing stuff during COVID yeah. and they're like, we are, you know, we were going to, and I don't want to, uh, disparage anything else, but, uh, like our churches didn't do anything. And so not that we want to ever steal people from different churches, it was like we just wanted to be part of a community that was centered on the gospel. So, so those are some of the things I saw.
1: Yeah. I would, I would agree with you, Mark. Um, I know that the, the popularity of, you know, deconstruction, uh, deconstructing your faith has become, uh, you know, ever so prevalent in our society and, you know, in our church communities. Um, I would agree with you. I think that, um, a lot of the fringe people in our churches, have um have allowed COVID to be a convenient excuse for them to stop coming, and um you know uh, allowing themselves to to join different communities, I think is is exactly what's happening. Um and and I would agree with you also with um with with the politics aspect of it as well. I think that this current um we'll call it like a political climate, I guess you could say it's the most polarizing I've ever known of. And granted, you know, I'm, I'm relatively young, but you know, it's, it's, it's just like you're either this or you're that like, there's no in between. And if you're that, then I can't be a part of your community because you are the devil, like regardless of what aisle you fall on. So no, thank you.
0: Yeah. 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 I think that on a, maybe a little bit deeper soul level with, People that I know love Jesus and would say, "Hey, I, I love the church," but when it comes to the church being viewed as the people that I'm family with, when they are around or live within a culture where everybody's angry at everybody, so they're, they, they turn on cable news and the the syndicate, they're screaming at each other on the news. You know, everybody's angry. There's vitriol, and so that kind of trickles down into. If somebody disagrees with them on Facebook, they have a dispute. And I've seen this across all generations within, I'm going to say, maybe our church and a lot of other church church folk. But they get on Facebook or some other social media platform and they get into sparring with each other, with fellow church members. And then they think, Wow, if I come together with the local church, I'm going to see that person who I was just... Arguing with at a great level, you know, out in public on a social media platform, and, and so there's this conflict, and and chances are they haven't reconciled. Maybe they won't reconcile, and so I think there is some of that where they they then choose to disassociate fellowship because they just don't want to deal with these these skirmishes. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. I think that another another issue is people thinking um, they simply don't need in-person worship experiences. So that kind of gets back to you, Mark, you were saying you use the word lazy. Um, maybe, there, maybe people are, are thinking um, sell church, you know, a house church. I'll just do church in my neighborhood with a, a small collective of a Bible study, and um, maybe picking up a couple books by by authors that maybe push that kind of house church movement, if you will. I'm not saying that's good or, or bad. Um, there's certainly some benefits to to obviously ministering in your neighborhood. But moving out of the institution to just a uh, a, a small group kind of ecclesia. I've, I've, I know people who've made that transition. So they're not necessarily quitting church back to your original question, but their expression of church, they're just, I think now they're reevaluating everything in light of the last two years, maybe reevaluating some of their ecclesiology, reevaluating their politics, reevaluating where do I want to do this church thing? So we've, we've, we've worked through some of that too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And when I, if I can just add, clarify something real quick, I think some people stayed away from, for COVID, because of some legitimate reasons. They were high uh, uh they were high risk. High risk. Yeah. And other people Absolutely. stayed away yeah. because it, you know, maybe they were they thought they were high risk and they went it's each his own, whatever. Um but I'm saying like people who stayed away and then they're starting to go to music concerts. <laughs> but they haven't there, come back to church. And like, oh there's so many people at church. Like you were in a group of like ten thousand people. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean by that. And uh yeah. um and so, and again, to each his own. And so, but for the sense of where they, they fall on that, but like, you know, you can also live in fear about everything, you know what I mean? And so um, yeah. there, there's gotta be some corrections with that. And I think that's why some people have stepped away as well, or they got so accustomed to it. So I've had people in our church yeah. who are like, oh, I'm just used to making the coffee at eight thirty now, you know, and, the, and I'm at, I'm at home and it just was so easy. It was like, that's great, but we need you here. You know, like there's places to serve, not just to, to consume and uh, good. All right. Um, so I saw you, you mentioned you were talking about something before this, this about the Christianity today had a helpful article called 200 people left our small church. Uh, can you comment on that?
0: I was just looking at that piece as you were, as you were elaborating on why people maybe have chosen to not come to regular in-person services over against still going to a restaurant or a Tigers game or something like that. This uh, Pastor Benjamin uh, Verbicek, he he outlines what they went through with the church, probably similar size to yours and mine from what I gather in central Pennsylvania. And they they thought they knew the reasons why people were leaving their church. But until they went through a phone survey, literally called every person over the last seven years who had left their church, members and attenders, They didn't really have the data, so they went through this process and called all these people with a few just simple questions and discovered the number one reason why people left their church was geographic location relocation. So it wasn't, I don't like you, pastor, I'm bored with a sermon, or the music's too loud or too quiet, or I don't like the youth group. It was simply, we had to move, you know, (laughs) a job change or something like that. And so he said, you know, that was reassuring to me, like, well, nine nine. And a half times out of ten, the uh, that is something that the family just decides on their own, and maybe they sought counsel from the pastor. But it, when it comes to geographic relocation, that's uh, that's that's a given. You know, people are going to make that decision. And, and then the second one, he talks about doctrinal dis- do- doctrinal disagreement. Uh, the third down the line, these are the top four. He says Christian cliques, he mentions specifically youth groups or small groups not having an open side of the circle for people to get involved. The doctrinal disagreement piece, you know, he said there's some people who just have that hobby horse. Maybe it's a a view on eschatology or maybe somebody um, has a different view on Sabbath or something like that. And they come to your church, maybe they get involved, maybe they attend for years, but then decide, well, I found somewhere else that. Lines up with my beliefs. The hardest one—it's the fourth most popular answer they got, which resonates, I'm sure, with you guys too and me. Personal difficulties and unresolved conflicts. I think that ties into the fault lines of the culture conflict, but also you know, when you have one family and they get into a disagreement with another family, and you're not able to work through the peacemaking with that group, chances are both families leave. We've we've all seen this. So that was the, those are the reasons that he experienced. You know, he talks about the, the COVID implications to all that too. But I think from my perspective, that's something that we want to walk through. In fact, I gave that article to our elders and deacons last month's board meeting. Hey, let's talk about what they did and how we can shepherd our people and make contact with those who've left and and simply ask them some questions about, why so we don't just make conjectures or broad, broad analysis but data on our local flock so I think that's some good, some, some good advice uh, that we, we should be keeping tabs on those who have been part of our flock whether they're members or attenders but, but in, in, in light of the last two years even more so, right?
2: Yeah, for so sure
0: yeah that's a great article on christianity today you can you can access it for free online. that's where I found it and at the end of it, he offers some truths to treasure for pastor's heart because I think most guys their 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 gut instinct is to, to put it on that I did something wrong. I said something wrong or I handled this this counseling session or this peacemaking session poorly or Oh, you know, we just go through all these reasons. It's me. It's me. What is me? You know, and, and you might even have an elder or a deacon insinuate you're the problem. Have you ever had that happen? You know, so,
1: Never.
2: You're, you're, Not you're once. You're the reason why they left.
0: Uh, Your fault. Like, okay, maybe it is, but, <laughs> what a, yeah. but, uh, just go through it and, and kind of calmly pray, pray through people's responses and, and, and the data, if you will, but just checking behind the sheep's ears, like a good shepherd, Um, and then taking that to Jesus, you know, he's the chief shepherd of the church. Um, that, that part, um, I I think is, has been essential for me to to let go of the, the fact that let go of the, the idea that somehow, um, I have to be the, the savior for the church. I'm not, there's only one savior for the church and his name isn't Michael. His name is Jesus. And so for, for this flock or any other flock, it's to bring these, these concerns, these questions that weigh in our minds to him and a lot and let him lead. So I'll stop preaching now, but
2: that's real good. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So I think too, right. That's we're looking at it, right? There's reasons and there's, there's probably, you know, a litany of different reasons and everything's different that verbosec, that's good. Hey, geographic. I think it might be, maybe it's changed a little bit here with some of the uh, COVID stuff, but that's, I called it kind of the COVID shuffle. Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, hey, God's still working. God's still sovereign. It's his church. I just want to do what's pleasing to him. Uh, what is God's vision for his church, right? You, you, you said the word ecclesia earlier, right? The assembly, the gathering, the community. Um, you know, you think about that cause we, we can't lose sight of the vision. It's not my vision. People always like, Oh, my vision, my vision. I don't care what your vision is. <laughs> What's God's vision for his church. Right. And, uh, you know, I always tell people, uh, the mission of the church doesn't come from me, any of the elders, any other leader. The mission comes from our leader and his name's Jesus. And it should be the same mission for every church. And that, that's the great commission, yep. right? Um, Christ has all authority. Christ is with us. Go make disciples. Now, how that works is different, but what's God's vision for the church? How can, can you speak on that a little bit, Michael?
0: Yeah, well, in the passage that you read from Ephesians chapter 2, you have a summary of Christ's vision for the church, that it's it's one body, one household, one building. In Ephesians chapter 4, we get one Lord, one Spirit, one baptism, one God and Father of all who's above all and through all and in all of you. So we're one household because of one Savior. So we're not to be divided, and we're not to be divided by ethnicity or economic status or any other, the, any of the other cultural divide points, but instead united under Jesus Christ. And so a vision for the church, I think you could summarize summarizes church as family, Church is family. There's a lot of metaphors in the New Testament for the church. Ephesians chapter two talks about household, building, temple. First Corinthians chapter 12, one body. Uh, and, and but overall, church is family. And that's one thing that we've tried to reinforce at Mayfair Bible Church that that a family gathers around a table for Thanksgiving. You know, think of Thanksgiving with my family, and we have different denominational traditions and you know, different kinds of churches represented in my extended family. Um, we got Methodist and Baptist and charismatic and non-denominational and 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 all very and, and episcopal and mixed in there and we gather around the table celebrate thanksgiving to the Lord together. And and I think though we might have disagreements about things or we might even have conflict about about things or relational difficulties at the end of the day or the end of the dinner, we're still family, right? Right, Mark? Right, John? Yeah, we're we're together. And we, are, we willingly, even joyfully, reconcile, work through issues because we're family. And so although that never will work out perfectly in the church until Jesus returns, that is how we're supposed to think, I believe, about the church, that we're, we're one family. And so because Jesus rose from the dead, we seek to reconcile with each other, seek to worship and serve one another in sacrificial love. And so that's how that's how I I see scriptures, you know, Colossians chapter two, verses six and seven is a text I just preached on. And both participles in there are second person plural, you know, and the active verbs connected with participles are second person plural. You all right. Mm -hmm. When I went to seminary in Texas, it was y'all was in the Bible (laughs) that you all are sanctified, (laughs) become more like Jesus, not individuality. But collectively, yeah. as followers of Jesus, and and we miss that. Which is, I mentioned to you earlier, this this book just published in the last two years. So within the pandemic, was published by University Todd Hall's book, Relational Spirituality, where where our in person I Thou relationship is essential is essential to becoming like Jesus. It, it, we can't do it alone. But in community life, uh, it doesn't happen in solitary life. But in community life, and, and so I believe that's that is God's vision for the church, and that stands in stark contrast to the way of our culture, which have of course has all these divide points. Um, and uh, I'm excited about actually what the pandemic under God's sovereignty has done to kind of push people. I think in the last year. Uh, in suffering and sorrow or in need financially uh, um, toward each other, even though it might be easier to to maintain a presence just on social media, but in some ways um, pushing people into, oh, I, I have to go somewhere and to get food or like we did this food hub at our church where we handed out food and toilet paper to people with the sheriff's department and and people were, sobbing when they pulled in our parking lot because they were seeing a human being and talking to a human being and, and realizing that what they had taken for granted before was way more necess- necessary for life than they realized. And so we're suffering through funerals together. We've been through that in the last four months, five months at our church. We've had way more funerals than I've ever experienced before as a pastor. And so that's kind of pushed us into... Ooh, we do need each other. Um, so that, that I believe is where we as pastors continually need to encourage each other and to do a, they become like Jesus together, functioning as a family. How have you guys kind of seen that in your local churches um, play out in the last few months?
2: Yeah, that's good. So one of our core values at our church is Being unified as God's family comes right from John 17, one of Jesus' last prayers, is that the church would be one, even as, Father, you and I are one, that they'd be one in us, right? And that's a power, that's an amazing thing to think about and how unity and the idea of familyhood inside the church tends not to be that way. Um, And so we, we really push for that. That's a huge part of our community. It's part I think it's part of our culture of our church. Uh, you know, we do for our church to do a brunch once a month after every, each service we do. And it's just great. We want to mm-hmm. cultivate that with our Bible studies, with our small groups and things that we do just, Hey, this is a family. Like we don't, this isn't something I come check my box on Sunday morning and take off. Um, but this is like, Hey, I'm, I'm a part of something bigger than myself. I have something to contribute. Uh, I get to be part of this and, and, and there's people to help me when I'm in need. And so, Um, you know, we gather around Jesus at the center of that. So, so that would be Mm -hmm. our, you know, seeing God's vision come through in our church.
0: I love what you're doing with having the brunch. So that's, you said that's once a month or every other week you do a brunch together. It's a whole church.
2: Yeah. Three servers. It's awesome. So we got a patio at our church. Our buildings kind of, there's no land anywhere. There's no green. There's like the smallest green space. Uh, we're next to a bowling alley and a car wash. But uh, we love it. And we got a patio that we use, and we fill it up, and we have a huge garage door for our atrium that we open up uh, in the nice times, and uh, people hang out. And so uh, we, we we probably get maybe seven, usually about seventy percent of people from service stay and eat food, and and uh, usually about an hour, hour and a half after service gets done, people are still. Gabbing away, <laughs> it's like I'm ready to go take a nap, guys.
1: Gotta <laughs> go sleep off all these carbs I just uh, ate. <laughs> but that's it.
2: Just,
0: that's just it's, just it's good though to eat together. You know, it's biblical. Yeah, it's
2: biblical. So. Well, that's just a small. That's just a small thing that we, you know, that this is part of our culture of our church, right? To cultivate these relationships. You know, the, the first thing God says, it's not good. It's not good that man shouldn't be alone. Yeah. And in your COVID and all of these lockdowns and restrictions and all this stuff, just exasperated all of these issues because we're so isolated and you're stuck in your own thoughts and then you can convince yourself of anything. And then that's where all this stuff comes up. And it's like, man, I need to be with other people. John, what about you?
1: Yeah, I think we need each other. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> philosophical. Yeah. Thanks man. No, we were, uh, so our church will not as frequently will do, um, We'll do either like a church potluck. Uh, the problem with ours is um, mostly where to do it. We have the land, but our building is, it's, it's not equipped or set up to really host that many people. Um, but one thing that we do do is uh, our community groups, our, we call them G2s, uh, Grow and Grow.
2: Grow and Grow.
1: Go and Grow. Oh. Grow and Go.
2: Got it. I thought you said grow and grow. Yeah, I can grow and, grow and grow and grow and grow and
1: grow and grow and grow. Yep. So, uh, the one that I'm a part of, we have, um, uh, probably about once a month. We'll spend an evening together just sharing, you know, a meal together. And let me tell you the nights that we have fish tacos, dude, they're so good. <laughs> but yeah, no, I love, I love our, uh, I love our church. I love our community. Um, you know, you guys nailed it on the head earlier with, you know, we're, we're a family, we're, we're a family united under the blood of Christ. Amen. And, um, you know, there's sometimes are family disagreements and you got to hash them out and, you know, you love each other through it. And that's, you know, one of the amazing gifts of offering each other grace through all of that.
2: Yeah. Love, yeah. It. yeah. love it. Love it. All right. Hey, Michael, what are some practical things we can do to pastor people back into the local church? And, and I think this is the money here. We, we identify the problem, the trends, things happening, God's vision uh, for this unified family. What are some practical things that we can do leaders or even as church members or whatever position God has given to us to help, to assist, to shepherd, to encourage people back into the, the local church?
0: Nothing beats just showing up at their house, maybe a phone call, personal contact. That's what we're trying to do. Or if you feel like, boy, that might be awkward to just show up at somebody's house. That's obviously a generational thing too. Older folks aren't going to mind that as much. People my age are going to be like, why is this person standing at my front door? You know. But uh, writing them a letter, we don't do that anymore as a culture. So write a, write a, Hard. And, and I have a friend in Fenton, he purposes to write five note cards a day to his flock. Oh. And so he, he pretty much, I think, goes through the membership roster probably every month and uh, gets through that. Everybody gets a card from him. I think that's really cool. And I'm thinking that means a lot to people. One of my mentors, a guy named Ken Pierpont, pastors uh, Bethel, Bethel Church, Bethel Baptist Church down in Jackson, Michigan, he purposes to pray through the membership attendee director directory every week, pray through every person by name every week. And and so out of that flows this natural connection. So as he's praying, oh, that person, huh, I, I better reach out to them. I better give them a call. Maybe I should stop at that person's house. I haven't seen them in a while. So just that basic level of shepherding. I also want to add, too, which kind. Of goes back to the second question but ties into this that we also don't want to be a cult right so there is an <laughs> exit door i said if your church doesn't have an exit door it's a cult and so keeping a kingdom mentality it's important it's the grand sheep shuffling year of the century right but people uh, we, we should teach them how to leave well when god calls them elsewhere yeah recognize some people are going to be better discipled elsewhere. Maybe they've been a member of your church for 30 years and you've been trying to, maybe God's been trying to get something in their head, into their heart for 30 years at your church, my church, and they haven't been hearing it, but they go somewhere else. And suddenly it's a new place, new voice, new environment, and they receive it there and they grow. So yeah. that, uh That's important too. I like
2: that. I like how you said that real quick here. I like that. Yeah, Every church needs an exit door. Uh, I like that. Yeah. So, you know, be at peace with people, love people, but Hey, I'm just glad you're going to a a church. I'm I'm glad you're walking with Jesus and, uh, and that's okay. You know what I mean? And so good point.
0: I think recognizing some people have been really hurt and wounded by the church and, and owning that up. If it's your local church is really important. I think especially for people between the ages of 25 to 45. I've spent a lot of time with folks over the last couple of years, wounded people, wounded by some churches, um, some locally, some across the country. And and they are they have quit church. And so I think the way maybe to as you as you said pastor people back into the local church whether it's yours or somewhere else you know ultimately it's it's god's church god's kingdom so if they're in a local assembly that preaches and follows jesus we're happy we're praising god but but owning up to the fact people have been really hurt and wounded and and so i think our knee-jerk reaction might be to say well yeah maybe they just watch online or maybe they're you know, they're in conflict, like our culture, some of those things might be true, but for others, legalism or, or some abuse scandal or some other form of abusive religious system happened in their life and they're struggling with their faith. And so I think reaching out to those people or making it known as a local church that your place for healing and for people to be gently welcomed in and not coerced into doing something, but rather I find people who come to our church wounded from past church experiences just need time and safety and gospel. And I, I borrow that from Ray Ortland, Sr. You know, time plus safety plus gospel <laughs> and just let them heal in the healing balm of God's grace uh, and and helping them walk through that. I think those people then over time will become active participants in the, in the family, as you said, but yeah, there's, uh, I, I think what you guys are saying about eating together, that's a great entree to people, pun intended, I guess, you know, but like <laughs> hey, we're having a meal. Um, I'm challenged by a guy who I don't agree with everything. Michael Frost or Alan Hirsch says, I know they're buddies and Michael Frost from Australia, he's written a lot in the missional church, but he's been pushing this thing with Alan Hirsch about church as a, as, as, as a dinner, like church as, um, basically having dinner church and they're trying this in the UK. So having the church built around a meal at literally every week. And I'm like, Hmm, there's something to that. There's something to that. I think for the younger unchurched or dechurched generation Maybe there's something to that, especially maybe post pandemic. So I don't know. What do you guys think about that?
1: I don't know, to be honest with you. I, uh, I mean, it would be a great way to do community outreach, I think, especially if you're in a, in an area where you're going to have people come out for something like that. So you know, you mentioned that you're, you know, involved in the Flint area. I would, I would think, you know, Flint, Pontiac, Detroit area churches, you know, just to name some in in Michigan would be more, um, willing to come out to an event like that. You know, most of the, most of those examples are already, you know, city oriented people who are used to being in close proximity to one another. Um, you know, I, I think that that would be, more advantageous than trying to do something in, uh, perhaps a more rural environment. Um, I mean, I'm down to break bread with anyone. So, you know, if you want to invite me over and have some fish tacos, like, that's great. Let's do it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I think I'd oh, rather have barbecue, but that's just me. I'm down with <laughs>
1: barbecue too. That's fine.
2: <laughs> yeah. It seems, yeah, I think things change, right. Contextualization, but the message doesn't contextualize. That's the same. And the yeah. way we communicate, yes. Um, there's a great book called The Gospel Comes with the House Key by Rosario Butterfield. And she was a professor, a lesbian professor at some liberal university. I forgot what, what it was. But she would, when a meal at a pastor's house, he would have a meal, a weekly meal, and she just came as a guest, kind of almost like a, you know, hey, let me show how stupid these Christians are. Right, And she became part of the community, and that's how the Lord called her to himself and con- she was converted to Christ. And so I, I think those are good things. I'm not opposed to any of that. Um, I think it's so easy, though, to be like, hey, I had my meal with my friends and, you know, that was our church. So I, I, would, I don't know Michael Frost really well or or Alan First or whatever his name is, um, but I wonder what, what that means. And, and when I look at um, what the God's vision for, for it, you know, Acts gives us a lot of great things. You know, Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 really show us, some of the local body of gathering and what that looks like and using the gifts and the meal. Yeah, there was a meal at some sort for the Lord's Supper, and that's what they would have, and they would eat and drink. And So these are great things. So um, I, I'm not super familiar with that their ideology for that, but, hey, I'm all for meals, and I think those are good. And uh, I, I think, though, what you hit on, if I can just come back to you real quick, is reaching out is huge. So having a phone call, going out for a meal with somebody, talking to them, hey, what's going on? Uh, where you at? You know what I mean. Like you need to be back, or hey, let's find a place for you to connect into. That just goes a long, long way. Not burning bridges. Not assuming. I feel like so many times we, especially as pastors, we kind of assume the worst. Like we did something wrong, or this mm-hmm. person's really dumb. And uh, but things tend to be more gray and difficult than that. And so reaching out and talking is a great way to bridge that and pastor and actually shepherd people.
1: Yeah. Um, and just to add to that, Mark, I think, I think it's also important to make it personal. Um, Mike, you brought it up earlier that, um, you know, the act of writing a letter, like a handwritten letter, I think that that's way more personable, than, than shooting someone a message on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. Um, I know there's a couple of pastors in my neck of the woods um, that, will go to, you know, people's houses, like you had mentioned earlier. So they'll go through, um, you know, especially their older congregation who had, you know, pretty much been, um, removed from community because of COVID, you know, for health concerns or what have you. And that has meant the world to them to have, you know, a pastor come and, you know, have tea with them or have a cup of coffee or whatever. Like that's, that's huge. That's near and dear to my yeah. heart.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Visiting people in the hospital now, as hospitals reopen to clergy, there's you know better bang for your buck than seeing somebody in the hospital or seeing you know not just the person there in that hospital room, but their spouse or their kids or that that impact. It's like going over their home and ministering to them. That goes a long way in bridging that gap back. I think too. You mentioned loneliness in the intro here. When we're talking, people don't know how lonely they are, or maybe how depressed they are, until they are lifted out of it a little bit. Like there's a little crack, of opening of light, and we experienced that when we reopened. Um, you know, we we reopened fairly early on after after the shelter in place order ended in Michigan. But when people came back and they suddenly heard like a group live singing again, the tears flowed. So, how to think about opening up environments or opportunities for people to 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 experience a, a relational interaction again, and they realize, oh, I was lonely, or oh, I really was, and and I, or I was, I, I am depressed. And But I sense something that is like lifting me out of it for the first time, um whether that's having a potluck, a brunch, going over to their house or you guys said I'm gonna have going out for a bike to eat, just working on that, losing mean, them at the at the hospital um they start to feel again, I, I think some people maybe have grown numb to things and don't even realize it. We all we all go through seasons like that. um I think those things will will I I know some of those things will bring people back to relationship in the local church. Um, Tim Keller in this one, he's been writing a series of essays on the decline and renewal of the American church. A lot of it has to do with what we're talking about too. And his third essay in the series basically says we need revival. (laughs) We need a real biblical awakening. That is the only answer. (laughs) Um, And, um, I'm challenged by that. It's a weighty essay long. It'll probably end up being a book, you know, because that's the way Tim Keller rolls. But that, and he, he hammers away on prayer. So as pastors, I am challenged to pray and pray with specificity for people by name, those who are heard, hurting or wounded or isolated, that the Holy Spirit can work. And drawing people back to the church, even when all our efforts seem to fail, too. That's what what, what uh, I was just reading that article again today. so that I was challenged to do as well. So,
2: yeah, Amen. Awesome. Well, hey, th- thanks, Michael, for joining us for a discussion. Anything else you'd like to add?
0: Well, oh, it was fun. It was fun to hear what you guys are working through with your congregations and go through these questions. Um, it's, it's nice to know other guys are processing some similar needs and, and, um, and it was great to hear how you guys are doing right now in your church after Easter. I sense a, uh, an excitement in our church and then you guys as well. So that's encouraging to me. Awesome. I really appreciate the opportunity.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, praise God. Thanks for your time, your wisdom and insight. Great to have you on the show from Flushing, Michigan. Um, it would be great to have you back on at some point in the future. Really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm going to sign off here. Stream Roots is a production of Barnabas Ministries. You can learn more at Barnabas Ministries, That's Barnabas Ministries, If you find this podcast helpful, we encourage you to subscribe and also leave a review. And rate our podcast, maybe even tell a friend It allows us to get God's word out to more and more people And be grateful if you did We release an episode every Monday morning And if you have any questions or ideas about a future episode You can send me an email at Mark, M-A-R-K, dot Pospisil P-O-S-P-I-S-I-L At thelakes.cc At thelakes.cc Stream roots, drawing deep from the living water of God's word